Well, 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 welcome back to the the show, the one that we wait and expect the whole month. Um, this is Climb to Your Prime with Dr. Heim, the one, the only, all the way from the land down under, uh, the future. And I always have to say it. I'm sorry. I have to. It just feels right. <laughs> Let's find Hurricane. We're all heading towards the future anyway. And the people are out there. Uh, they want a better future, whatever that means for each of us. And uh, what we're doing here, Hurricane, is being able to give a little bit of information for people that need it and hopefully can apply it in their lives so that the future looks just a little bit brighter. Uh, listen, it is. We we're just talking a minute ago about your book and about working together towards bringing that book to the public and hopefully the messages in the book and they can definitely benefit from them. By the way, I just tilted myself a little bit so the Instagram people can see me, at least me. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm, I'm trying to navigate because the systems don't cooperate properly, but we'll try to make them work. Uh, but we are live, actually, folks. If you're watching, you're on LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Twitch, uh, EMBC, you know, Facebook, all over it. Um, uh, even in Russia, we're going live right now. So <laughs> we're, we're around the world. And uh, Instagram, of course. So please chime in. This is your hour. I mean, the doctor has dedicated one hour a month to just respond and answer to some of the questions that we get, as well as your live interactions. Uh, you do can you can chat with us right now. You can also call. Um, uh, that might be a difficult task, right? <laughs> but but you can definitely chat with us uh, on either one, the Instagram or the chat, you know, whatever you're watching right now. All right. Uh, if not, this will replay and that, that will be an opportunity as well to listen to the, the, the answers, but it will be best to interact with us live. So, uh, doctor, are you ready? Uh, Hurricane, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do this. Okay, let me just make sure that we have our comments open here in case someone wants to chime in. So first question. Um, so let me just grab it here. Uh, doctor, how can I inform my young children about the risk of child abuse and pedophile threats without harming them mentally? Monica. Okay, so Monica, that's a really good question. And it's one of those unanswered questions in society today because it's very important. How do I tell my child about the risks of the world without actually harming them? Uh, so, Monica, the first thing that I want to say is it has a lot to do with age. And the other thing, it has a lot to do with your relationship with your child. And what I mean by that is the most protective thing that will protect your child from the dangers of child abuse is actually your love your example, your happy home, whatever that means in your particular situation. So let's go into the brain to understand the background of how to explain something like this to a child. Because before the age of 11, a child's brain is very different to an adult brain. So in other words, a child cannot reason like an adult until after 11. And that's quite incredible when you think about it, because that's a lot older than we think. And what we have is brain waves in the brain to show that a brain of a child actually goes on slower brain waves than an adult brain. And what that means is it actually takes in information rather than critically evaluating it. Right. So that means that if you say to your child, I want you to be careful for strangers, they will absorb the feelings behind that more than the information. They will understand the information enough to actually listen to you because it's the feelings and your love behind it that actually has the most impact. Whereas if you give a whole set of instructions, do this, but don't do that, look for this and not for that, and we've got to be careful of this because of that, then that is, as we say, going to go over a child's head. So very simple messages. The younger the child, the simpler the message. So for a very young child, it's listen to mum, listen to dad. You can trust your family. And then as much as you can, you stay with that. It's when a child gets older and starts going out into the world, they have to have that basic trust. Now, when I say basic trust, I'm actually quoting a psychiatrist by the name of Eric Erickson, who said that's the most important thing that we all have to learn. And Monica, that basic trust comes from you. If they can trust you, 
which they can, then they will learn that basic trust. But the older a child gets then, the more you can explain what's going on. And it's not until after puberty that a child can understand what sex actually is. And even after that, that a child can understand that sex can actually be a means of abuse, which is why it's important to keep children protected, but it's not up to them. It's the environment that you give them that's more important than what they know or what they don't. So just to sum up a few simple messages, if there's anybody that you're not sure about, you talk to mummy, okay? You stick to people that you know. If you're ever in doubt, ask mummy. Now, aside from mummy, there's going to be a whole lot of other people that the child can trust as well. And you can talk to the child about trusting them. I hope that goes a little way into answering that question, but it's a very big topic and it's one that we're grappling with and we've still got a long way to go on it. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, doctor. So, so I did actually have a show um, about a month and a half, two months ago. And uh, one of the guests, you know, that's one of the things that they experienced themselves when they were younger. Yeah. And one of the challenges that that he presented in the show was that he almost ignored, he didn't ignore it. He actually hid that fact. He didn't share with anyone. And for the longest, I mean, it took him years and years and years. Even he got married for years, then he was able to actually state that. Uh, yeah. that, is, that is a challenge for a lot of people. I mean, how do you... Uh, even if you are, I guess, being abused, you know, the idea is that you need to be able to share something or there's a risk. You need to talk about it. If you don't, yeah. it's within you and then you have to camouflage it somewhere. You have to like, you know, cover it. Not a good idea. So so yeah. what do you say to that fact? You know, you know, I mean, I know you just give some some elements of like discussion and to who you talk to. But I mean, how do you tell people like right now? I mean, this is a live case that the person was actually yeah. in the 70s. And they had this challenge for many, many years. He couldn't even face anyone or the reality yeah. of it. He just buried it deep, deep. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Hurricane, we're, we're moving now from prevention because the best thing is prevention. We actually do not want children to be abused at all. Sure. And so what I'm emphasizing there is that children are innocent and they depend on the environment that you set up. So as a parent, you've got to think, well, where are the possible places that my child could be abused, right? So we trust friends, we trust family, we trust daycare centers. And unfortunately, we know that sometimes our trust can be betrayed, okay? And for the longest time, we have stigmatized people who have experienced childhood sexual abuse. So now we're talking about what can you do when this has actually happened? And the thing is that it comes down to trust. And the best thing that a parent can do is to give the message, not only in words, but in also how you act, that you can trust mommy or you can trust daddy with anything. Doesn't matter what's happened, we will always listen to you. That's trust. A child needs to know that they're going to be believed and listened all the time. Now, unfortunately, when people abuse children, it usually comes with something to say, I will kill you if you tell somebody else or this will be our little secret. And because a whole child's existence is at stake, it's very hard to overcome that. And oh, Hurricane, I have treated so many people that are in this position, and it really grieves me to see just how much damage somebody can do to a child, which is why as a society as a whole, we need to do what we can to keep our children safe. And I know it might sound dated, but the best thing to do to keep a child safe is to safe, have a safe, trusting family. And even then, I see people who've been abused by their parents. And that's very, very difficult. And so our society is just coming to terms with that. But all these things I have to say have to do with a small percentage of people, and I'm talking about people who've been abused by their own parents, whereas it's a much larger percentage that have been abused by somebody else who has betrayed trust. And as a society, we're just coming to grips with this, which is why part of my work 
and the book on relationships is to try to keep that family unit, that trust, really paramount in the lives of all of us in society. Doctor, just just as a curiosity, I mean, what I mean from from a psychiatry concept, what can possibly go into somebody to actually go pedophile? I mean, I mean, I, I cannot comprehend the notion that you know an adult person will actually take those measures and and abuse a child. I mean, sex. I mean, there's a lot of ways to to attain that. I don't understand why would you do that. I mean, whether it's family or otherwise. I mean, it's it's. I mean, to me, it's sick. But I mean, what what is the mind, you know, of a, a pedophile look like, or, or what what to look for? I mean, in someone. Okay, so uh, this is a very difficult area, all right. And I have to be very careful with what right. I say because I want to get things right, all right. Okay, so uh, you use the word sick. And sick in the way of illness is actually the best word to describe it, all right? Um, I have treated people who have had desires to have sex with children, and they've come to me and said, I do not want to express this. Can we actually work on this? And that's good. That's good. And we have actually worked on it, and we have had situations where people have not acted on that, okay? Okay. Now, this is the next thing that I've got to say that we've got to be very careful with. When a child is abused, if they are a female, a female child will tend to grow into somebody who is more vulnerable to being abused, more vulnerable, all right? When a male child is abused, they will grow to be more vulnerable to actually hurting other people. Now, I have to quickly say that does not mean that if you are a male and you have been abused as a child, that you will become an abuser. Because our studies show that the vast majority of males that have experienced childhood sexual abuse have not gone on to be abusers. Okay? But there are a small percentage that do. And what goes on in the mind there is very, very complex, and it has to do with the support around them. So I'm going to tell you a story about a uh, another psychiatrist who was a trainee when he came to me and said, I was sexually abused. Could you help me through this? Which we did. And because he came from a home where he could trust his parents, we could work through that really quite well. And he is now quite comfortable telling other people that this is what happened to him. And he dedicates part of his life to making sure this doesn't happen to other people. And that's the kind of successes that we can have if the general structure of all of society is loving family units. And that's what we want, Hurricane. Yeah, yes, Doc. So, so just to go back to uh, the communication part, I mean, not all, I would say, cultures or religious or beliefs have the, I guess, the openness to have this type of discussion. I mean, uh, oftentimes sex could be still a topic that is not really yeah. uh, encouraged to have at, at an early age. So, yeah. so I mean, there are programs, there are things that are out there, there are, you know, there are sites that actually even uh, list, you know, people that potentially have been, you know, uh, flagged as, as such. And but But it's the discussion, it's the openness of that. In, in, in different walks and society is very diversified, especially in areas. That's a challenge. So, so what do we do about that? Okay, so, so firstly, uh, the idea that we live in an open society that's really quite happy to talk about these things is only very recent hurricane. And I still don't think that uh, we feel comfortable about this. I'm not comfortable talking about this. Uh, I talk about this with people behind closed doors in their particular situation, and I don't want to betray the work that I do with anybody, right? And it was only 20 years ago that our society, and let's call it Western society that has become really quite liberal, has actually even faced the whole idea of adults having sex with children. In fact, it was only 25 years ago that people who had experienced this were not believed even by doctors. They would go to a hospital, accident emergency, and say, this is what happened to me. And the doctors would not believe them because it's too shocking. It's too 
out of the ordinary, let's say. It's too far away from what normal should be. So all societies, including the most liberal, have undergone this tremendous change. And there's some advantages to that and some disadvantages to that. One of the advantages is that society is finally starting to face the reality of what has been done to a lot of people. And it's a lot more than science or medicos ever realized. The disadvantage is that all of us in society are forced to look at something that we don't want to look at. We don't want it to be part of our day to day. And the more conservative end of our societies, and you were talking about people of various religious faiths, feel that they need to talk about something that is just so far outside of their experience, or let's say so far outside of their accepted norms, that they feel very uncomfortable. And that's what we're in at the moment. In the midst of all of that, the most important thing is actually to keep our children safe. That's the primary thing. The next thing I want to say is to make sure that the people who have experienced things like this can see people like myself and psychologists and counsellors that can work through this without feeling that they're different or stigmatised, that they are people who have gone through a difficult experience, but they can still move forward in life. Well, thank you, Doc. And I, and I, and I appreciate what you said about your you know, talking about these things behind doors and you're not really, it is very, there's confidentiality, there's all that. So I think that that creates the opportunity of, of safety and at least, you know, comfort to a degree where someone is potentially open to that opportunity to discuss with a doctor versus not to. So thank you, you know, for, for clarifying that. That's important for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also important to know that, unfortunately, abuse of children has happened throughout society. We can't look at one group and say they were the bad ones. Wherever we look, we found that people have done this. So it's something in humankind, if you like, that we all need to work together to help overcome so that people like the person you had on your show who has experienced this does not feel that they are different or stigmatized, but they're part of the solution rather than the problem. All right, doctor. So, so thank you for I mean clarifying. I mean, this is a, a to your point. I mean, we can talk an hour for hours, but I think you've covered quite a bit the angles and and what the core fundamentals of what we need to do, and as a society, as individuals, and 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 most definitely as parents. As a parent personally, I mean, it's it's always a fear, and you got to make sure that you do it. I mean, my kids are older, but even at that age, they still you still need to to make sure that they know and understand the risks. In, in this particular life that we live in. And society is a little strange these days, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so we got to move to the next question, Doc. Um, now, this is more of a financial, I guess, spin. So uh, my husband just lost his job and he's struggling financially. I'm trying to keep him motivated, but feel that he may get into a depression state. What can I do to ease him through this phase and boost his mental strength? Liz. Okay. Okay. So Liz, thank you for your question. And I'm really sorry to hear that your husband has lost his job. Okay, and we know that losses, particularly loss of usefulness and meaning, are risk factors to depression. So, Liz, you are you are right to worry. However, you're the person that can do the most to maintain meaning in your husband's life. Right. So uh, if you, Liz, are the closest person to your husband, and the two of you find meaning in your relationship and each other, then together you can get through this. So now we get to see some of the advantages there are of being in a relationship. So I don't want to say that losing a job isn't that bad, but the thing is that life is not over. And this is the message, together you can get through this. So it's a bit of playing you and me against the world. This bad thing has happened, but together, if we rely on each other, we can get through this. Now, there's there's a lot more detail in that, and I'm just going to go back to Hurricane and to see where he wants to go with this. Well, so, so doctor, I mean, I, I have heard and read that uh, recently there have been studies that there are more divorces that are stemming from financial situations, especially a situation like this where 
you know, financials go downhill and, you know, people just connect to your point, they're not really cohesive enough and coherent enough to actually, you know, work and support each other. And the next thing you know, it breaks down the family and then boom, it's, it's another, you know, other calamity that adds up to the actual situation. And now we have a, a bigger issue, a, a situation and, 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 and uh, really a bad outcome. Yes, yes. So let me speak uh, directly to that because uh, often in our society, because we like talking about things, we tend to talk about the negative, all right? But um, uh, one of the chapters in the book that we're, we're just bringing out is on resilience. And the studies in resilience are actually very, very interesting because uh, there is some truth in what does not kill me makes me stronger. So in other words, one of the mechanisms to get resilient, to get resilient in yourself and resilient in your relationship is to overcome obstacles, to overcome problems, to overcome things like losing a job. So Liz and her husband if they can work together to overcome this in a year or two, we'll look back and say, that was a hard time, but we did it. We made it together and together we are stronger. And we have studies to show that that is actually what happens. So it's, it's like an exam. If you get through this exam, you get to go onto the next stage, whatever that means. But if you don't get through the exam, you've got to have another exam like that before you get onto the next stage. So in a way, Liz and her husband can play a game here, sit down and say, look, can we get through this? Because if we get through this, we will be more resilient. We will be stronger and we will be stronger together. So the difficulty has to be faced. You've got no choice, all right? But using your resources, so in other words, talking together, acting together, putting together a plan and putting together what we've got to do next is actually a good idea. So on a very practical level for Liz and her husband, all right? Uh, a GPS, you've got to use your GPS to navigate your way through this. G is for goals. So what's your goal? To find another job. P is for plan. How do I plan to do that? And you put in the plan and you write out all the avenues that you can look at to find a job. And then S is the step that you've got to take next. What I've actually got to do? Do I have to make a phone call? Do I have to talk to somebody? Uh, and you make sure that you do that next step. Now, nobody can guarantee that it's actually going to go right. But by using your GPS, your goals, your plan, and the step that you have to do next, it ensures you the best chance of doing well because you're doing all that you can. Thank you, Doctor. And, and so you mentioned a couple of powerful things. One is strength, right? Uh, immunity, their strength. We we hear that expression, you know, from centuries. But but you're right. That I think the issue that happens is that sometimes uh, when it gets tough, that's when you see the real, I guess, elements of the relationship, right? I mean, a true relationship will not fail. Uh, a relationship that was probably just maybe based on uh, fluff or materialistic stuff may be more of of a risk. I would say. Uh, and, and what I would say just personally, listen, I have personally experienced loss of job uh, yeah. multiple times in my life. And you know what? Yeah. You know, it's part of life. You know, that's when when you work for the corporate and you work for other businesses, it happens. You know, uh, it's you know, there's many reasons why it happens. You move on and there's always another way. To your point, it is not the end of life. You, maybe yeah. it's, it's a good thing. Many people sometimes a lot of successes historically have been beyond the point where they lost their job. And yeah. it pushed it pushed them to actually become more independent and start their own enterprises, and they they really took over the world. So so uh, just to give hope to people, it, it is it is not the end of the line. Maybe it's a restart and a reset, and that's it. And so if you look at it from that way, I think that changes the whole dynamic. And yeah, but and that's the other thing. I think the comfort zone is another issue. Is that people are so comfortable when they get, as you said, is an exam a test, and they just are failing the test, or at least they're afraid of failing the test. You know they're not willing to maybe adjust they're not willing to adapt yeah. they're not willing to maybe downgrade whatever lifestyle they have and maybe reset and restart again yeah that's the challenge now people can say well you know hurricane you're crazy <laughs> you know i i don't want to lose well well here's the thing if you're not making necessary changes then you will eventually collapse and then that's going to be more detrimental and probably the comeback will be longer and harder 
Uh, yeah. It doesn't lead to worse, you know, case scenarios. So, so again, that's just my little, you know, two cents in there. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's a good hurricane because uh, part of our book is studies that we did on couples that were going through a hard time. Because in the last couple of years, there were couples who did lose their job, right? And they were looking at a relationship breakup. And we asked them, how did you get through that? And they gave us ways that they got through it. Okay, let's take the worst case scenario. Let's say that Liz and her spouse have a relationship that's based on fluff, all right? Let's say it's a terrible relationship. I'm not saying that it is, Liz, because the whole idea of you caring for your spouse shows me that it isn't. But let's take the worst case scenario. Oh, it's not going too well. Well, they can sit down, and particularly Liz, can sit down and use this scenario to say, let's make our relationship great. Let's work together. Let's use this very problem to get to have a better relationship. And then you borrow from the future. You say, what is our life going to look like in two years' time when we get through this together? How are we going to feel about each other knowing that we were there for each other, knowing that we helped each other through? And the thing is that Liz's husband may not want to say how he feels, but if she is able to be there and listen to how he feels and go, all right, that's how you feel, but we're going to work on this plan. We've got this goal, this plan, and this step that we've got to do next, and we're going to get through it together. They get out the other side and they have a more resilient relationship. That's the thing that our study has shown. The, the study that we did showed that couples that can take on that attitude can actually make it to have a better relationship and some of the things that they want, like a job. You know, it's fine listening to you. This was not really planned. As, you know, I, I can tell you, it's not like we planned the questions. But no. first of all, you know, this is, Liz, Liz, I mean, obviously, to your point, doctor, uh, someone who cares, will, you know, if they, she didn't care, she wouldn't ask the question. And so that's right. That, and that shows. But but one thing that I think you and I mentioned that a previous show, we talked about relationship briefly, and it is the topic of your book. Uh, the concept that you notice that we have vows, right? When we get married, everybody's got, the, you know, in debt and sickness and, you know, I mean, till that do us part and all the good vows that we, you know, and all those those promises. That's actually where it stands real and, and it, when it's really uh, true or not. Because some people, and I've seen it in the older couples that, and I, I always bring the topic of the, the marriage show on the cruise ship, you know, these people actually are the senior, you know, couples and they last their deck both. I've, I've seen people over 60 years, you know, in marriage in those shows. And the common things that were always working together. And they say it, it was never easy, ups and downs, but together as a unit, they went through it step by step. As opposed to, I've seen other elements where, you know, a few months out of the marriage and then they collapse at the first, you know, wind. And that's that's the, the issue. So so I think, Doctor, your book is definitely going to be, um, you know, helping a lot of people, at least guiding them in terms of like how to maintain a good relationship and be resilient. I mean, the keyword resilience. And resilience, I think, across everything, you know, it, it is a, one of the biggest elements. If we, we can get to the level of resilience, we can bypass anything. We can, you know, really um, overcome things in life, no matter what they are. Yes. So part of what we looked at was asking people who have been together for more than 40 years, how did you do it? And so one, one uh, insight that came through was somebody who said, when the going gets tough, that's not the time to break up. It will be tough for a while, but you are starting to reach for gold. Because when you get through that together, that's when you start to realize how important your relationship is, how deep the love actually is, how much that person next to you actually cares for you. And it's when you get through the tough times that you reach the gold of going, oh my God, I have got somebody who really, but really loves me. And then you value your relationship so much. And unfortunately, it takes some of life's knocks and adversity to get through, to get to the gold of a relationship. So hang in there, persevere. 
<laughs> so, 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 doctor, just just since we're talking about this, I just want to take a brief pause and, and do a little commercial for you here. <laughs> what is the name of the book, and you know, and uh, where is it available? And I know that we're going to do some uh, some, I guess, uh, shows and stuff, or at least uh, have the ability to promote the the the, the, the talk. And you doing a tour around and, and promoting the book and releasing the book. So, so, what is the name of the book? Okay, so the book is called Building Resilient Relationships because in our world today where there are a lot of clashing values there's a lot of isolation for people and there's a lot of mental illness your relationship has to be resilient to get through all of those things uh, so in one sense it's more difficult to keep a relationship together but in another it's so much more rewarding when you do so the book is called building resilient relationships and yes as you know hurricane uh, we'll be talking about when we're over in the States in a few months and uh, we'll be talking more about the book. All right. Well, I've got to say, I've got to say, you can actually buy the book. The book is available through Amazon, Booktopia, wherever good books are sold. And it is a textbook. It is a book for therapists. But people who have an interest in keeping their uh, relationship together We'll find it an interesting read and we'll get a lot of insight out of it as well. Uh, there you have it. I mean, I love what you said. It's a textbook, so for, for the experts, but but there's nothing that beats you know learning from that and and and, and taking some of this work that you you took you uh, quite a bit, you and your wife together have put it together. And it took a what is it, a year or so you were working on it? I mean it's it's been a minute. So well, Hurricane, we've been working on this for five years now. Okay. Oh, all right. So I stuck for a long time. But I've got to tell you, our relationship is a whole lot better because we've learned so much from the studies that we have done. We have learned so much from couples who are together 40, 50, 60, and in one case, 73 years. And through those people, we have learned what a relationship actually can be. And so we're actually looking at making a relationship everything that it can be for the two people involved. And it's a pretty rewarding journey. And look, we uh, we interviewed over 1,400 people are part of our study, which makes it the largest study in the world. So we're looking to um, have this as a textbook with a lot of scientific authority behind it because it's been very well researched and very well studied. And that will eventually filter through to couple therapists and to relationships and to people listening on your show right now as to what they can do to treasure the importance of their relationship. So, so doctor, just to okay, I curiosity, 1,400 cases or interviews, uh, I'm assuming that that's all walks of life, socioeconomics, religious backgrounds, and so on and so forth. Because uh, I, I, the relationships vary according to, to what's your environment, correct? Uh, yes, yes, they do. So uh, of the 1,400 or more people that were uh, part of the whole study that we did, they came from 52 different countries. Now, previously, uh, studies like this concentrated just on the USA and actually upper middle class USA. So there's been no study like this that has looked uh, more broadly at different walks of life, at different socioeconomic levels and at different life experiences to show how different relationships are and how so many different relationships can not only survive, but thrive in so many different ways. Well, th this is perfect because we are broadcasting live all over the world and all walks of lives and socioeconomics. So I think it's going to be very important for people to actually do the, the search and the research and follow in the next, you know, uh, I guess, a uh, few sessions or maybe a few months uh, yeah. as the books, you know, as you will go out there and start talking more about this, hopefully we'll stream those things live to learn more. and. Definitely get the book and uh, you know learn from it. So again, it was it was. I'm sorry, I had to do it because I, I believe the book has value and uh, you know it's it's out there. Might as well talk about it now. And I know we've talked about you know relationships previously, but I think I think life is about relationships and and it starts with the immediate relationship, which is you know the the family one, right? So uh, yes, yes. So so let me just. Uh, tell you how good a relationship can be. And we're not talking just about personal relationships. Uh, we're talking about a professional relationship. So uh, earlier today, you talked about you have the platform. I have a book. And so we have developed a personal 
relationship that is a professional relationship so that things move better not only for you not only for us but for the book and most importantly for all the people out there and this is how society can actually move past the problems that it has if we're able to have the right science and move it through the media channels in the right way then we get the right information so that people can actually improve life and we sometimes feel that it's a big challenge and it is hurricane but it's still worthwhile engaging in that challenge well that's what we exist right i mean this whole platform was created to educate enlighten inspire and motivate and it is to to share to the world what's available because to your point you're not going to get you know a lot of discussion about this in a lot of standard media if you call it and i'm not you know putting down the, the value of the media but but it's just a different concept it's not meant for this it's meant for you know entertainment news and other things this is more educational resourceful and so uh, i'm i'm happy to be the means and and the platform to help and share anything that is of value and the other thing i want to point out is both liz and monica who've asked questions of us today they've asked us questions about people close to them people who are they in a relationship with that are part of their family the people that they care about and we all have people that are close to us that we care about and this is what not only the book but what we're doing is for are there any other questions oh we have a bunch i mean i i'm sorry I mean, yeah we're midway on the show but so so now the next one is almost related to to the um i guess the stress part about the job but this is actually the global event that we've been talking about or hearing about which is um, the financials of the world. So how can people deal with the financial changes floating around currencies and banks to avoid anxiety, stress, and outbursts that can lead to crime and, and or suicide? Uh, you know, recently we've heard, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, noise on social media and stuff about banks shutting down. Uh, I'm not sure in Australia, but in the US, we've, we've heard of, of some big banks that, that had issues and people are starting to chime in and, and, and given the doomsday you know model concept and people are already panicking uh, what is what can we tell people about that and and you know from a psychiatry you know uh, uh, concept okay thank you very much for the question Hurricane. Oh, megan. that was megan megan okay yeah, thanks megan. very much for the question megan because uh yeah the world seems big and dangerous and um it looks like we're heading towards doomsday so there are two things that i want to talk about there Firstly, and this is the basis of all of psychotherapy that we do in psychiatry and psychology, it is based on a very big insight, and that is differentiating what we as individuals can do something about and what we can't do anything about. And so there are a lot of doomsday predictions that has to do with things that we can't do anything about. And if we focus on that, then we can be led down into depression and anxiety. However, if you can ask yourself, what can I do? Who can I stay in relationship with you uh, with? And uh, what people around me uh, can make life meaningful and worthwhile, not only for you, Megan, but also for the people around you, then you change your focus and all of a sudden you're protected from depression and anxiety. So that becomes a choice. And it's actually, this is all based on something by a Stoic philosopher, called Epictetus in the second century that all of our psychotherapy is based on. But I want to give you something actually more important and something more immediate right for you, Megan, okay? We have these problems at the moment in the world because we live in the most prosperous time of all of human history. We have never had it this good, and it's only because we're used to having it so good that we get really worried when it doesn't go quite as good as we'd like it to. Only 200 years ago, the survival age of a human was somewhere around 35 to 40. 35 to 40, whereas now our survival rates are getting around 80 to 85. And that's because we live in an amazing society. Never in the history of all of humankind have we been able to drag people out of poverty at the rate that we're doing it at the moment and never have our lives had the potential to be so good. So in a way, it's a gap between what we know we could achieve and where we actually are. So I'm bringing us to a very important idea that's called gratitude. 
And so this is focusing on how good we have it and what we can do and the love that we can share with the people around us rather than focusing on how badly things are going and how the world is coming to an end. So in other words, all the good years that we have had and all the good experiences that we have had and all the people that we have loved in our family and friends, all those experiences cannot be taken away from us. They make part of our, all of our life journeys. And so I'd encourage you, Megan, to be grateful for that, which will give you the strength to help face some of the uncertainties, because there are, there are a lot of uncertainties in this world, including the financial ones around the world, and to keep going to finding usefulness and meaning in your life. Well, thank you, Doctor. So, so you know, it's amazing. This this touches on the resilience concept, right? Um, because technically, um, we all know that things can happen. Bad things can happen in society, yes. and they do happen every now and then, no matter what. I mean, we're talking financial. We have pandemic. You know, there's war that looms around. There's all kind of these things that happen all the time. So the idea is that as a whole, we you're right. I mean, we haven't had this great, you know. I guess financial gain and, and stability over you know the previous centuries. Now it's more relevant than ever, but but at the same time I would say that we should not panic. And I, I always work with no panic you know concept because I think that's the first problem that we all um, react with. Like you know we panic and then we lose our cool and then everything else becomes like you know a chaotic you know environment. And we shouldn't do that, right? I mean again I'm not an expert, but that's just something that I, I apply personally. No matter what circumstances, I just pose, take a deep breath, evaluate, and what's the worst that can happen? As you said, doctor, you know, things can go bad. We've we've experienced a, a small little recession in 2008. We've had, you know, a few ones before that in the century. It, it's ups and downs, and some people are getting, you know, more affected than others. But at the end of the day, I think there's plenty of opportunity. Now, if the financial system collapses, I'm sure there's going to be some alternative mode that's going to happen. And we're going to have, maybe we're going to trade stuff, goods. I don't know, but but we yeah. have to be prepared to, for the worst. And then I think at that point, no matter what we face with, you know, or, or faced with, it's not going to phase us. Yeah. So I'm going to take what you just said there, Hurricane, because you said something very important there. And uh, you said, we've got to take a deep breath. And I'm going to go inside the brain to see what we can actually do so that Megan can actually make the choice for gratitude rather than worry, because it's actually not an easy choice to make. So I'm going to explain what happens. So uh, you said you, you stop and take a breath, okay? And when you stop and take a breath, it's like you pause your life just for a few seconds to consider where am I going to go next? So I want to take you to a very special part of your brain. It's called the orbitofrontal cortex. Orbito basically means the eye. Frontal means right at the front. So it's a part of the brain that is right in the front here, close to your eyes. In fact, it's just above your eyes. And here's the thing about it. The orbitofrontal cortex is the very front part of your brain. So when you arrive at a party, your orbitofrontal cortex gets there first. Your nose gets there just a little bit before your orbitofrontal cortex. But here's the thing, your orbitofrontal cortex guides you in the direction that you are going. And the latest science shows that this life is not random at all, but we actually make choices. And we make choices based on what we want and our intentions so that a possible future collapses into a choice and an action or a word that we say that then moves us in a certain direction. All right, so in your orbitofrontal cortex, the purpose of your orbitofrontal cortex is to make decisions. If you make a decision for worry, then you set up a whole lot of brain circuits that put you into fight and flight mode that put adrenaline and noradrenaline into your system so that you are breathing shallow so that your heart rate is up and so that you get really quite tense and it gets to the stage where you can't think and you can't sleep. But if in your orbitofrontal cortex, you make a decision to become grateful, that releases the brain chemical dopamine in your brain. It releases serotonin and endorphins so that you actually feel more calm and you're actually able to breathe deeper and think more clearly. 
So by doing what you said to just stop and take a breath, you already start to prepare the calming side of our nervous system to be active. It also gives you a few seconds to consciously make that decision. And that's a hard decision to make, Megan. It's a hard decision to make, and I battle with it every day, but I do. I make the decision, go for gratitude. Go for gratitude. And just saying that, you will feel that your brain is already under the influence of dopamine, serotonin, beta endorphins, and your breathing rate comes down, your heart rate comes down just a little, but the more that you do it, the more you go, right, I'm calm. I can choose to move forward and do what I can do in this amazing thing called life. Doctor, I, I have to say, I always enjoy when you, you really bring us to the reality of, of our, I guess, makeup, you know, and, and how we are made in terms of chemicals and reactions, because I think we tend to forget those things sometimes just talking about concepts. But at the end of the day, we are chemically induced, you know, in a way or the other, and, and the chemicals are flowing around us and they trigger different responses and different reactions. And understanding how to tap into those correctly, I think it makes a difference but not understand what that does for us and, and how it maybe we re react wrongfully and, and therefore we're almost like losing it, you know, and losing yes. the flow, as I would say. So so thank you for always bringing that, because I think that's important for people to be reminded over and over as what that means. Okay, so feelings are very important. And the latest science, and this comes from a neuroscientist called Antonio Damasio, shows us that feelings are the, at the bottom of all of our thinking and all of our decision making. So feelings are very important. But usually when I say that, people sort of think, oh, I'll just go with my feelings. And they don't quite realize that you can actually choose your feelings. Okay, so gratitude is a feeling. And it's a hard state to move yourself into, but you can do that by choosing to focus on things that you can be grateful for. And by making that choice, you actually end up with better feelings in your brain. And we know from science that if you have better feelings, you make better choices. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, 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 like I said, I mean, I, I, I enjoy this show, believe it or not, just because I learned so much and it helps me keep up, you know, like it's like my, my little dose for the month. I, I get this and then it keeps me moving until the next one. So I look forward to the next one uh, and, and it never fails. And, and I really talking about like taking a deep breath. You know, I told you last month, I think you had posted something where you were doing an exercise, a breathing exercise. And I reposted yeah. it. So I use that, you know, and I think a few year, a few months back or maybe last year, there was another exercise you did about like, you know, three or four and hold for you know and, and whatever the, the breathing exercise was yeah. and i use those and, and they work and you know i encourage people to actually uh, either look at those you know uh videos and shows and catch on you know what those these are easy practices that that help trust me I, I am human i get through a lot of things myself and you know sometimes that's how i keep my moment my momentum correct and i just kind of and that's it. It works. <laughs> I get into all that stuff. <laughs> okay, so I'll talk about those little clips because those little clips are put together by my spouse, my love partner, The because we work as a team. And what she does is she finds a place in the world where there is no outside sound except nature. And that's actually very hard to find. It's very hard to find a place where you won't hear a car, you won't hear a helicopter, you won't hear anything. And in that silence or in those nature sounds, our brain naturally tunes in because our brain actually extends way beyond our own head and it becomes in tune with the environment all around it. And when you breathe in and when you breathe out, you actually activate what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, which puts you in a calm state. But you were talking about getting a dose it actually gives you a dose of <clears throat> of D O S E of D for dopamine, O for oxytocin, S for serotonin, and E for endorphins, so that you feel that you are part of all of nature and you feel in yourself that you can move forward in whatever life calls upon you to do. So if they're only a minute, but that's what they can do if you do it every day. Well, thank you, Doc, for clarifying that. But but you know, it's also important what, what you said is that I remember during the pandemic there was a lot of talk about going to nature, 
and taking you know uh, some time just just to to do that. Uh, historically, going to nature and pondering and just taking some meditation yeah. in a moment has always been powerful. And, and so I guess from this platform, we do we would recommend you know for people to do these outings every now and then. Find somewhere that is quiet. Now I know in Australia it's 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 a big land. I mean I'm sure you you can get out of you know the city and and drive an hour and probably get some places. And I think even the states and most of the, the countries, you will have the ability to do that. You know, maybe an hour drive away from everything, get into a isolated park, and probably not going to hear any noise. That's going to be important. I mean, just a quick advice, but um, it, it 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 has a beautiful, I guess, feeling. It has a beautiful outcome. It gets you reset. And, and I, I, by the way, there was no pun intended about the dose. I really meant it as a dose. But <laughs> But I love what you broke it down into, like you know, uh, chemical reactions so, or acronyms. Yeah. So I love it. Uh, but that's that's your expertise. That's what you do best. <laughs> yeah, so, Hurricane, I, I want to give a little message to people who are in big cities and feel that they can never be out in nature. And I've got to say, that's most of us in the world at the moment. So, there is something to be said for watching a documentary on waterfalls, mountains, sunsets, or some part of the world because they're all on the internet as well while you have very soft music going through your um, your headphones. However, on top of that, know where there is one piece of nature, a beach, a mountain, a waterfall, a bit of a forest or a park that's closer than an hour's drive from your place that you can get to just once a week, just once a month, that you can escape occasionally. Because if you can just sit by... A river and watch it flow for a couple of hours what that does to the brain is it resets it so that all of these dopamine bursts that we get from our social media are just quietened down and we get back to the essence of who we actually are we are social creatures and we love nature <laughs> I, I love it and you know what I'm, I'm going to start doing this more often. So, <laughs> so that so actually this leads into the next question. So, um, it's it's an interesting. I, I, the order was not really planned, but it, it worked out. So it says, does physical activity and or sickness have a psychological impact on us, good or bad? If true, how and what can someone do to avoid any negative outcomes or long term effects? Jane. Okay. So, uh, so Jane's question has to do with the effects of physical illness on. Our, our brain and our thinking? Uh, just physical activity in general or sickness? I'll, I'll repeat the question. Does physical activity and or sickness have a psychological impact on us, good or bad? Yes. And if it's true, how and what can someone do to avoid any negative outcomes or long-term effects? Okay. Okay. So Jane's question has to do with how exercise and illness affects the brain and the mind. And Jane, we have so many studies that show in particular that if you exercise, then you are protected from depression, right? However, there's a little caveat on that because if you exercise too much, if you're going for um, hours of jogging per day and you become obsessional with it, then you actually increase your vulnerability for anxiety and depression, right? So a good amount of exercise, and it's a huge window. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. You just have to do... Uh, make sure that you're getting on with life as well as your exercise, but that protects you mentally. Physical illness can get you down. However, uh, throughout history, we have had people, and I'm talking about an author, Robert Louis Stevenson, who was sick for most of his life. And actually, Mozart was also sick for most of his life. And Beethoven was sick for most of his life. But these artists were able to remain productive in their mind and overcome their physical sickness by having something that they do that is meaningful. So yes, we know that if you are sick a lot and you have a chronic illness, that that makes you vulnerable for depression. But the way to get over that is to know that life is more than the body. The life is more than sickness. The life is expressing yourself and being the best you that you can be, or at least reaching for that. So to answer Jane's question, yes, physical exercise is very good for your mental health, but not too much, right? And <laughs> physical illness is not good for your mental health. And do all that you can to make sure that you keep yourself physically healthy. And that basically means eating sensibly, 
sleeping sensibly and exercising. Beyond that, as a psychiatrist, what I'm saying to add to that is do things that are meaningful to you and be around people that you love and respect and keep yourself useful however that means to you. That doesn't mean you've got to have a big career. If you help one people in this, uh, one people, one person in this world, then you will find yourself already feeling that you are useful. And that's an amazing feeling. Well, th thank you, Doug. And, and by the way, I, I love that question in a way because I, I, we also have the Fit and Fab channel and we I get a lot of fitness uh, you know, uh, guests and we do a lot of fitness talks. And one of the things that comes up all the time is like, you know, uh, maybe the frequency of working out and, and how how much do you have to work out and, and what it does to you in terms of endorphins and gets you going. So there is a positive thing, but yeah. sometimes people get uh, over tired because they do so much workout and so on and so forth. And then actually it does have an impact on them. So, yeah. so this is ideal for today's discussion. Yes. So, um, the wonderful thing about our social media is we can disseminate good information, uh, very quickly. However, uh, people tend to think that if a little bit is good, a bit more must be better. And if I can do more than that, that's absolutely wonderful for me. And that unfortunately is not true. Uh, and um, the ancient Greeks had this idea of a golden mean, not too much and not too little, but just the right amount. And if people can get that thinking uh, as part of their uh, routine more, then uh, you, you'll be protected from this idea that if a little bit of exercise is good, that means a lot must be a whole lot better uh, because you can do too much. So in this day and age when people are becoming quite obsessional about how they look and their fitness levels, the word is a word of caution. Uh, you can actually take care of your eating so much that it's a problem. You can actually exercise so much that it's a problem. And so we want this idea of a balance or a golden mean, the Goldilocks effect, not too little and not too much. <laughs> Doctor, that, that that remains always the, the rule, right? Being in the middle, not to the far left or the right. It's a it's it's the perfect balance. Uh, but but so, Doctor, just just since we have in this and we're just about the end of the show, uh, what uh, you know, in from a, a psychiatry, um, I guess perspective, uh, because there's so many types of workouts and, and intense and and light, whatever. There's different types of modalities of fitness. What will be some of the the ones that are encouraged by psychiatry, like for someone? Uh, whether through depression, anxiety, or even just normal, you know, living, because at a, at, a, at a point or another, we all have some levels of ups and downs, right? But what would yeah. be like a decent, I mean, uh, you know, maybe walking, maybe like, what would you give as an advice from, from a psychiatry, not a, not a physical aspect of it? What would that be? Okay, so uh, from a psychiatric point of view, uh, it has to do with the optimum release of dopamine, serotonin, uh, beta endorphins, uh, and oxytocin. So I would encourage people to do what they love doing, what they feel that their bodies are meant to do. Some people just feel really good in the water and going for a swim is fantastic. Some people feel really good running or walking. Other people say, hey, I've got to do things with people. So to play a team sport uh, like, uh, like soccer or, or a code of football, uh, some people just want to be out in nature. So hiking or mountain climbing is what they need to do. Uh, some people uh, don't feel that they're, uh, they're made for this exercise stuff at all, but I encourage them to do what they can. So you just take the elevator, sorry, you just take the stairs rather than the elevator, or you walk to work or things like that. But we do know that the body gets to strut its stuff when you exercise. The liver metabolizes better. The blood flows better. The heart pumps better. The brain thinks better. The eyes see better. The digestion system works better when you exercise, no matter what it is. The one caveat is not too much. So in other words, we're getting a bit too obsessed by all these things. And again, it comes down to moderation rather than too little or too much. Well, I think I think, uh, Doctor, we've covered a lot of grounds today. So, <laughs> you know, as and and you know, I mean, I have a few few more questions, and we're all hoping that people interact with us. But again, keep sending the questions, but do please interact with us live in the show. Uh, it is for you. Uh, 
it's rare that you're going to find an opportunity where you have an actual live discussion with a specialist and especially a psychiatry specialist because that that is not something you get every day <laughs> and and by the way it is an opportunity to 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 really get the direct feed now i think as always you said doctor someone needs help they need to seek uh, you know, a session. And, and this, what we give here is more nuggets and just highlights, but there's more stuff that can be done, but you have the ability to do it. But at least this is a good start uh, to get things done. It is anonymous. You don't have to say your name. You can be whoever you want to be, but do join the discussion. Do send your information and, and questions to us. We'll be more than happy to answer them. We'll be catching up next month, end of May. It's the last Friday of every month. So uh, stay tuned for that. Doctor, thank you so much for being with us as always and, and for a great show and, and all your answers and feedback. Always a pleasure, Hurricane. See you next month. See you next month. Bye for now. And folks, thank you for being with us on Instagram and uh, all the other channels. And uh, just, again, catch the show again, the replays. Uh, share it with other people. I'm sure there's someone that can benefit from these answers and at least get some guidance as to what the next steps would be. Sometimes hearing it is just half of the, the battle, right? So, and that's all. Uh, I'm Eric H. We'll be talking soon, and uh, bye for now.